Now, guys, uh, grab your Bibles and open it to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, you know we're in a study of Hebrews 11, uh, which is a, 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 a series within a series because we're studying the book of Hebrews. Now, that said, I want to say one quick thing, and then I'll read my text. Gang, uh, Gigi, uh, if you don't know what that is, it's a discipleship package uh, around here. We've, we've broken it up into three levels, level one, level two, level three. We're in level three of year one of Gigi. Um, we have one more course to teach, and that's next Saturday, and it's going to be a course on cults. Gang, I have never taught a, a course like this, so I don't know how it's going to break up in time. We have two hours is all. It starts at 10, goes to 12. I'm going to try to cover the, the, the top four, which would be Islam, um, Hinduism, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and Mormonism. Those four we'll try to get. We'll... Um, We'll just have to see. I don't know what, how time is going to break down for us, but that's this Saturday. If you're interested in something, some kind of definition of the cults in general, but those four in particular, come be with us on Saturday as Gigi uh, winds up for year one. Now, let me read you my text. It is two verses out of Hebrews chapter 11. Um, which I have told you is a, a very famous chapter. It's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. It is a commentary, a lengthy commentary, on verse 38 of chapter 10, where the, the author is talking about the just shall live by faith, and then he takes a chapter and gives us illustration after illustration after illustration from the Old Testament um, to make his point. Today we read about, we read two verses, 11 and 12. You follow as I read. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, there were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the words of our God do not wither, nor do they fade. They endure forever. Um, guys, this morning, let's, um, let's begin on a note of controversy, shall we? Well, here it is. You will notice that, our, or perhaps you noticed, that I read to you this morning from a translation known as the ESV. That's called the English Standard Version of the uh, translation of, of the Bible. Um, you will notice that it began like this. Verse 11 began, by faith, Sarah. Every other translation in this room, translation of note, any uh, uh, major translation, um, begins that way. It agrees with the ESV, except for one translation. The NIV. And if you've got an NIV in your lap, it reads this way. By faith, Abraham. Now, I do understand that um, the NIV has tried to clean that up and it's um, on its online version. But if you'll click the link, you'll find that, indeed, the NIV... Originally uh, trans or sold in the early 70s, 
translates um, verse 11 this way, by faith, Abraham. Okay, now which is it? Who is the subject of um, verse 11? Is it Abraham or is it Sarah, for heaven's sakes? Those aren't exactly the same thing, you know? I mean, do these translators in the NIV have something against women? I mean, something against Sarah in particular? I mean, are they latent misogynists? Are they uh, sexist? What's the deal here? Well, guys, the, the, the issue is far more complex than that, grammatically. Because the issue has to do with the case. Remember your English? It has to do with the case of the Greek word pistis, which is the Greek word for faith. Is it in the, nom- is it in the dative or is it in the genitive? Aren't you glad you came to church to hear that? Um, but that, that, is the, that is the debate that, that rages on. Now, gang, I want you to know that I have chosen to follow the ESV by faith Sarah for a couple of reasons. First of all, in verse 11, there are no masculine pronouns. But there is a feminine pronoun in verse 11. Did you see it? By faith, Sarah herself. Do you see that? That word in the Greek that's translated herself is the word ote. That's a feminine pronoun. It's not otas, a masculine pronoun. It's a feminine pronoun, ote. And thus, it is by faith herself referring to a woman, it seems to me. But there is another reason that I've chosen to um, take sides with the ESV and all those other translations. And, and, and in one sense, it's more fundamental than even that, than even the grammar. It's more fundamental, at least in this, this culture in which we find ourselves. Um, I choose to see Sarah as the subject because I think it was the intent of the author. I think the author, whoever he is, Spurgeon says it's Paul, but whoever the author is, his intent, I think, was to demonstrate that women were to be included as well as men when it comes to heroic Christian living. In terms of examples, illustrations of faith, there were not only men, there were women as well. And thus, He speaks of Sarah, and thus, the controversy. The other thing about the grammar, that's a debate. The controversy is this. It's a controversy that has been fueled by, but certainly not created by, but fueled by the missteps, the misdeeds, the misstatements of the present administration. Guys, um, I do not know what our president's real views of women are. Furthermore, I really do not care. Because I don't get my views of anything from the White House. I try to adopt my views that grow out of this book. What I want to know is not a, what, what is the the views of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party over women, what I want to know is, what is the view of this book? And we're going to look at that as we close later on. But the first thing that I wanted to do 
is that I wanted you to see the story, the story that is being alluded to by verse 11 of chapter 11. The story is found in, in Genesis 18. You remember I told you that Hebrews 11 is just a, um, a, a brief summary of Old Testament stories, and it is. We've seen several Old Testament stories already, and this is just another one. It's found, as I said, in Genesis 18. You know that story? Let me tell you to it real quick. Let me tell the story to you quickly. It begins with the visit of three mysterious characters to Abraham's house. I say mysterious characters because those three, some have suggested, is a visit of the Trinity. I don't know that that's true, but it's certainly consistent with the Trinity. But we find out later in the story that those three men know Sarah's name before she's introduced to them, and they hear her inaudible laugh. And so it seems to suggest that the three men who visited Abraham were more than just human beings. When they arrive at Abraham's place, um, they discuss with Abraham what they're about to do in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what that is, don't you? Sure you do. And not only that, they say to Abraham, oh, Abraham, by the way, in the next 12 months, you're going to have a son. Um, Sarah, whose part in this story doesn't begin real well, <laughs> Sarah is inside the tent. And Sarah overhears this conversation. And we're told in the text that Sarah laughs to herself. And that laughter is somewhat problematic in her role as a and is an example of the faith. Um, but apparently, in the coming days, Sarah has a change of heart. And her laughter becomes the thing that is a genuine expression of her faith this way. When the child is born... The child is named Isaac, which is a Hebrew term that means he laughs. As if to say, the, the joke's on me, isn't it, Yahweh? I should have known better. You know, one of my heroes is Martin Luther. And Martin Luther once said that if you're going to put your faith in this God, you're going to have to learn how to crucify the question, how? Sarah learned that lesson the hard way. Me? Have a baby? How? And we're told in the story that she laughs. And then seeing that God pulls this thing off, it becomes the very thing that is an expression and representation of her faith. Yeah. I should have known better. But guys, the story is really not so much about Sarah. She's the key player. It's not so much about Sarah as it is the, the, what God does in the life or in the lives of his people, both male and female. Now, gang, this is where things get fun, at least for me. 
in this story, in Genesis 18, referred to in Hebrews chapter 11, in that story, God reverses nature. Um, In this post-menopausal, 90-year-old woman, he he reverses nature so that he can keep his promise that Abraham would have an heir. Now, guys, for every person in this room who knows and loves Jesus Christ at this moment, do you realize that God has done a similar thing in us? He has reversed our nature. You remember in in Ephesians chapter 2, I think it's verse 3, where it says, we were by nature children of wrath. People born into this world, ill-prepared to leave it. And that's got to change. That nature has got to change. And it does. It's changed by this same God that changed and reversed the nature of Sarah. (laughs) Guys, this is the same God who later on would would bring water out of a rock. He, He makes iron float. He feeds one of his prophets by sending birds in daily with his food. I mentioned those three things because they're all reversals of nature. And in this story about Sarah, a dead womb is brought to life by this God. It's a a resurrection of sorts. And here in that same story, in the life of this woman... God accomplishes a a, a supernatural conception, a miracle birth, if you will. It's it's one of his specialties. It's a miracle birth that, that points us to one he's going to do later on, much later on. He is going to produce a pregnancy in a virgin, another miracle birth. Now, As for Sarah, this frail, aged woman way beyond her reproductive years, Sarah's circumstances militated against her believing what she heard. And um, she gave way to unbelief. I'm not sure we would do much better, but the Lord rebukes her about that. And she repents. And then she goes on to trust God to do something that to her reason seems utterly impossible. I mean, God, if you do that, it's going to mean a reversal in my nature. And then nine months later, She has a son, and the son is named Isaac. He laughs. The joke's on me, isn't it, Yahweh? 
you're the one laughing now. You're the one laughing in delight as another one of your promises have been kept. Guys, um, stay with me. God gave to her something that was not heretofore in her, or at least for the last 40 years of her life or so. He, um, he restores to her a function that was natural And as a result, she produces fruit for his glory. Do you see it? Guys, do you see the gospel there? Let let me, let me make it clearer. In every one of us, let's take me, in every one of us, I am dead spiritually, at least I was. And then what God does is reverse my nature by exchanging my heart of stone for a heart of flesh. He puts inside me something that was not previously there and he restores it to the the status at which it was originally intended And then I begin to bear fruit for his glory. Gang, the story about Sarah, which really happened historically, but it's a picture, guys. It's a picture of conversion. It's a picture of (coughs) what God does to all of us. To bring us to himself. And to accomplish that, he must reverse our nature. And then if you'll notice in verse 11, it it, it says, she received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful. Who had promised. Guys, her trust is not so much in the promise, but in the one making the promise. Her, her, her faith goes beyond the thing promised, and it settles into the great promiser. This will happen because of his nature. And he will reverse mine and restore it to its natural state. And then verse 12 says, therefore, therefore, Isaac, and then more and more and more and more, and then ultimately, Christ. Do you see it? She's a hero because she placed her trust in one that she knew.
could keep his promises in spite of her circumstances. That's glorious. Now, let's fight a little bit. What do you say? I mean, people love a good fight. And, and you know, people seem in this culture today, they seem to be itching for a fight. Um, they, they want to fight over things that I think ought to be givens for us Christians. Because one of the real hot-button issues in our culture today has to do with sexism. So, what I want to say, what I want to show you is simply one statement that's made in the New Testament, and, and I'd love for you to turn there. It's in Galatians chapter 3. Um, because, ladies and gentlemen, I said earlier, I don't get my views from the White House. I get my views from this book. Now, let me read you one verse. It's pretty simple. Um, it's verse 28 of chapter 3 of the book of Galatians. Paul says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, guys, Paul is not trying to imply that there are not distinctions between the two genders. We all know that, that men are from Venus and women are from Mars or, or vice versa, whatever. But what he's teaching is that the attitudes, attitudes of superiority, of um, slave over free or vice versa, or a Jew over Greek, or a male over female... Those notions, those attitudes of superiority are intolerable among his people. Paul is not promoting sameness. He's promoting equality. We are one. You know... I, I'm not sure of this, but I think that what we're seeing in our culture now is we're seeing women clamor to have what Jesus has already given them. And perhaps we men have denied to them. That. You know, I recently read a blog where the author, who was a male, the author was advocating that we read theological books written by women. And for the life of me, I could not understand why the issue even came up. Why do I have to be encouraged to do that? Why does somebody have to tell me that's okay? No, they don't. They don't have to tell me that's okay. If it's good stuff, I read it. And I don't care what gender the author is. Folks, does it surprise you that women are good thinkers and theologians? It shouldn't. It shouldn't surprise any of us. Now, let me make one quick 
Disclaimer. I hope you're never going to catch me going beyond the boundaries set by the New Testament. Like elder ordination. But ladies and gentlemen, as for me and my house, you have heard me say publicly several times, you have heard me say that my wife Susie is a much better thinker than I am. She's the real brains of the organization. And for me to ignore her input is just to show how stupid I am. Why would I ever want to do that? Why would I ever do that? You know, I'll tell you one other thing that you may not know. That on the night that Susie and I became Christians, we had been married for about two months. We were seated on the same floor, sitting side by side, and the gospel was being preached out of Matthew chapter 7 by a woman. Her name was Virginia Schmidt, and she's one of my heroes. It grieves me, ladies and gentlemen, that simply because I am an evangelical white male that I am lumped into a category of sexist. I am not. And I don't think this church is either. We take very seriously and we highly value women as leaders, as teachers, as theologians, as influencers, can we do better? Sure we can. And we must. But, but one of the examples that I, I, that I want to use as kind of a proof of this church not being sexist is several years ago, we made a decision to repent of our outsource, outsourcing of women's ministries. And we brought them all back under this roof. And I would suggest to you that some of the finest teaching available in our city is done right here in this building every Tuesday morning by skilled students of the scriptures. Can we do that better? Sure we can. And we must. But gang, that can be said of every ministry in this church. But to ignore, to minimize or devalue the influence, the skill, the contribution that is made by women among us is not so much to mistreat women, which it is, but it's far worse than that. It is to mangle God's word, which says there is no Greek nor Jew, there's no slave nor free, there's no woman or female, male or female, we're all one in Christ. For us to ignore that, or to somehow wink at it, it's far more serious. You know, guys, Politicians may fear the displeasure of the woman voter. 
I fear the displeasure of the God who wrote Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. And it is that from which I get my marching orders. Nowhere else. Guys, just a, a quick confession. When I was studying Hebrews 11, and I came to this debate over, is it by faith Sarah or by faith Abraham? When I came to that, which I really I didn't know existed until a couple of three weeks ago or maybe longer, um, I thought to myself, I'm just going to skip that. I don't, I don't want to get into that. But as I thought more about it, I thought if, if I do skip that, then God's people are, are going to miss out on a story of a 90-year-old woman who looked way beyond her circumstances to believe in promises that she didn't see how they could be done or performed, but believed them because of the person who made the promises. And that's heroic. That's a woman that I want to emulate. Guys, the specific promise that God made to her, Sarah, had to do with the birth of a child. Here's another one of the promises that he has made to us. Among the hundreds of promises he has made, here's one. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Do you believe that God can and will keep that promise? in spite of your circumstances. Well, if you do, that's downright Sarah-like. And there are many of us in this room that are banking our eternities that God can and will Keep that promise. Our Father, I, I do pray that you will uh, use this and all other models from the Scriptures to shape us and to make us into men and women who are, um, who are living out the faith that we say we have. And I pray that you will use whatever heroic living is recorded for us in this book to encourage us that indeed you can and you will keep your promises. Lord, if you brought somebody here today who has not yet seen your ability to make promises and keep them, would you show them that now? Would you give them eyes to see and ears to hear? Would you reverse their nature like you have ours and like you did Sarah's?
Do that, Father, for Jesus' sake. We pray in his name. Amen.